from the Center for the Study of Art and Community. This is Change the Story, Change the World. Hey there, this is Bill Cleveland, and I'm going to invite you to listen up a bit. What's that sound? Uh, There's some kind of machinery thing going on, that's for sure, but it's not just a mechanism. There's humans in there doing whatever it is. Yeah, there's a lot of motion and energy and uh, raw rolling rhythm. <laughs> rolling and scraping on hard surface with an odd beat that yeah, it's coming and going in what sounds like a big open space. Now, I know some of you knew it right off, maybe because you felt it in your body and your feet and your knees and the wind in your face, your hair, because you've been there doing it. Maybe you got it because you saw others doing it, practicing, making stuff up, trying and failing over and over and over again, just to stick it. Well, if you haven't figured it out, what you are listening to is an emerging culture manifesting in time and space. In this instance, young humans finding freedom in a cocktail of gravity, adrenaline, and grace. These are skateboarders rolling and jumping and flying in an environment made just for that in Tasmania, the smallest and southernmost state in Australia which, if you were with us for our last episode, you know, is the home of Scott Rankin and the organization he runs called Big Art, which he describes thusly. Bringing stories that are seemingly invisible into visibility for people in such a way that it's harder to abandon them. Or another phrase that that we use is, it's harder to hurt someone if you know their story. Now... If you visit Big Art's website, which I encourage you to do, you encounter the following. Big Art is Australia's leading arts and social change organization. We make art. We build communities. We drive change. 30 years in operation, 62 communities engaged, 47 awards won, 550 artists contributed, 9,500 people participated, 2.6 million audience members. I'm sure you'd agree that's a lot, but given that social change mission, you may be asking one of my favorite questions. To what end? In our previous episode, Scott Rankin talked about two initiatives, Napaji Napaji and the Namajira Project, that both addressed that question and also provided some insight into the how. Visibility requires virtuosity and sometimes we frown on that word at our end of the the making but for the voice of sorrow or the the voice of abandonment to be present it requires every ounce of of our virtuosity in content and our virtuosity in in the process of making the work so keeping an eye on invisible stories and making them visible my focus is on the 80 percent of that task which is process, not so much on the 20% kind of commodity Western view 
of of the power of content. Content is good, but the process and who's welcomed into the process, who's who's allowed to be one of the makers, and and how you, how you break down those permissions is the real work. In this episode, we'll learn more about Big Art's approach to creative change making. Along the way, we'll hear about Big Art's current work at the confluence of youth culture, environmental justice, and of course, skateboarding. Part four, walking the edge. One of the things that you've done that I've seen over the course of your work, which I think is astounding, and would also be to many people who aspire to Big Art's level of impact, is understanding what it takes to allow what happened in Napergy Napergy and the Namajira project to come to you, to emerge. These projects took a decade or more to come to fruition and evolved over time with many layers, permutations, partners, and intentions. Could you say something about what it takes to make work that is both focused and rigorous and so highly adaptive to changing conditions, to the changing story? Yeah, it's interesting, like, watching younger artists and practitioners. There's a lot of language around change and the criticality of change. And, you know, we use all the language of violence and war. We've got to make an impact this is the target group, but look in the world right now the, at any of the conflicts. Change and fanaticism walk a knife edge, and a terrorist wants change. It's the same as a pacifist. Yes, there's a long list of enormously powerful change agents who have hacked the world's storyline that we need to pay attention to, especially now. Monsters like Pol Pot, Stalin, Milosevic, and Hitler, who, of course was an artist and our own orange beast, each of them in different ways, harnessing collective fear by way of the imagination to fracture and replace their community story. So not just fun and games. Given that ever-present reality, how do you take those steps? So we need to walk into that space very carefully without a deadline. We need to be invited into the space to walk in or to be in discussion about a a gift that you might bring to trigger an invitation. So those are all old traditions on this country. You walk to the edge of someone's country, you sit and you wait and they'll come to you and a welcome to country will take place for your safety. And that needs to happen in the making of these kinds of works. So if you think of skateboarders, skateboarders are often young people self-soothing a whole range of um, inner worlds, uh, inner turmoils that they're staying alive uh, because of the self-soothing of skateboarding. And then around that is the incredible Nijinsky prowess, the physical ability to be able to map architecture and redraw on wheels and explore the potential between a, a council drafts person and the mechanics of the deck and then the ability of the body. And yet when we see skateboarders, we think they're going to steal my purse or my man bag. They're going to knock me over. They are a menace. We must put uncomfortable stainless steel things on the edge of everything. And we need to put signs up, generally speaking, do not skateboard here. And so we say to a generation, and we have said it through and through, you don't belong. You can't connect to your environment. 
and we want you out of sight and out of mind. Now, some cities in the world are recalibrating that and skateboarding facilities are incredible. But in the same way with young people who we love to hate because they remind us of our own mortality and we're threatened by it, you need to sit down on the edge of their country and you can't go in to work with skateboarders and go, well, we're going to do this thing. It's going to go like this. And here's a script. No, you go in and, and inquire about the beauty of the traditions that they are already in. It is the cathedral of their own movement. And you're lucky to be there. I'm bringing this one up because it's a, for us, it's a 10-year a project. And we've just, on the weekend, this beautiful, big, trailable half-pipe is now sitting right on the edge of what's called the Tarkine Rainforest, Temperate Rainforest, here in northwest Tasmania. Part 5. Skate of Mind. The project Scott is referencing here is one aspect of a long-term impact investment initiative that Big Art has launched called Skate. Like many Big Art projects... Skate was born in response to a community need, a ripe opportunity, and a pinch of serendipity. The initial spark for the project was kindled in the Rankin family's backyard, where Scott built a half-pipe for his son, Lockie. Now, Lockie was deep into skateboarding, which Scott began to appreciate as something much more than a roguish extreme sport. He saw it as both an art form and a culture that had the potential to fit into Big Art's approach to leveraging community assets as multi-layered vehicles for dynamic community change. Learning from Lockie, Scott came to recognize skateboarding's powerful performative potential as a rhythmic, multi-dimensional movement and soundscape that was both familiar and infinitely adaptive. With this in mind, Big Art began to integrate skateboarding into their theatrical work with high school students in North Tasmania. Over many years, the project has evolved to become a full-scale theatrical production incorporating music, movement, light and sound, involving dozens of local youth and professional skateboarders from the skateboard company Element as cast members. Another aspect of skate is helping to build spaces like the Tarkine Halfpipe, where skateboarders can gather to practice and learn and celebrate their passion for skateboarding. As is often the case with Big Art, there's more than one story playing out in this initiative. Professional skateboarders from Element and young people are coming down to skate the Tarkine, and everything goes on Insta and their own channels. They are filming, we are filming, and the Tarkine, which is threatened by a mining company, is going to live in the bedroom channels of young people globally because this temperate rainforest is being skateboarded. Here is... Dr. Bob Brown, the leading advocate for the Tarkine's protection and conservation. Well, there's very little left of that natural universe on the planet, and the Tarkine is one of the most viable and important places left. And here we are in one of the most continuous, long-lived democracies, charged with either ripping it up for a few more minerals cutting it down for a, a quick few dollars or celebrating it as a place which will lift human spirits forever into the future if we look after it. And I know which side I'm on. Now, at the same time, we're developing a whole range of 
activities called state of mind, which are about soothing and thriving and belonging. And, it, and it's a mental health project. And we're also making a really big commercial work where skateboarders make the music with the act of skating, because when you're on set architecture, you skate in time and also painting with light through tracking projection, etc. And that work is to build, this is ambitious, Bill. We want to gross a billion dollars around the world, put a hundred million away into a corpus. So all the profit. And then those young people can use the hundred million that's in the corpus to change the world. Because we invite young people into an adult world to, to bring about transformation. You're right. This is an immense undertaking with enormous implications. Given the care you've taken with your collaborators and partner communities not to distort the social and cultural ecosystem you're working with, how are you approaching something of this scale? So so it's recalibrating that, that whole approach thing. It's taken 10 years of sitting on the edge of skateboarders' country and listening to the cathedral of their movement. It's our longest project to date within the 30 years of big art. We have legacies on the legacies. <laughs> or It's a project that has its own trajectory. We are usually careful about not building dependency. on So creating something beautiful and breaking it apart, allowing what was once a story, it could be the Namajira story, about the injustice of that copyright issue. That's no longer the story. And often some of the worst work in our sector, our part of the world, that you'd be familiar with is in individual lives and also community lives is locking the narrative to a certain point in time and putting your snout in that trough as an arts organization or a writer or whatever and feeding off the trough of that deficit rather than seeing that is a previous chapter now people are doing this and we have to be careful of that and careful of monetizing change careful of looking for something to change. I use the phrase, look for the flow of consequences. And then you, you don't trap people in time. It's not about you. It's like, do you know Winnie the Pooh? Well, I sometimes talk about Winnie the Pooh and Piglet throwing the sticks in the river and then running to the other side of the bridge to see where the sticks have gone and which one is winning or whatever. And in a sense, communities are changing all the time. And you're entering into that flow of change that's not your responsibility and you're bringing a gift on invitation and then there is a flow of consequences from your involvement but we tend again to commodify change making and and put ourselves as the hero at the center of it rather than be part of the flow of change and change yourself part six compost stinks and soil thrives so, Scott, big art has always been a delicate dance, learning, adapting, recalibrating, all the while, staying true to core values and intentions. And Skate is not only going to put a lot of that to a test, the opportunity for learning will be enormous. You've created a body of work based on a cumulative process of learning, of being a student of the community's and the issues that you have engaged. And I can really understand that along the way, you can feel expert at learning and also feel incredibly humble at the fact that 
every time you open one of these new stories, you're not starting off learning how to learn, but you're having to learn a new culture, a new relationship, a new rhythm, a new language, all of those things that come with each of these places. So as you move forward, the question will not only be, what have you learned, but how do you pass that on to others? Yeah, it's a big question. It's easy with a great storyteller like you to talk about these things as though we never failed or there weren't mistakes or we were doing very well, thank you. But it, it is in a constant state of unknowing and propped up failure. It's like compost stinks and then soil thrives. And, you know, there are times when it's all compost and you don't know and you shouldn't know. And it's an ugly way of looking at it. But over the last 30 years of big art, we're a hundred and million roughly in. That's about what we've raised for communities living with disadvantage and invisible stories, etc. And there's 500 artists or something. There's a number of people who have who've stayed for two decades of work and people tend to stay long and, and they're using first projects that they're involved in as a awakener and a quest. And then that quest is saying to them, what can you let go of and what don't you know so that you can be quiet and we are peak primates peak predator primates addicted to left brain data-based skill sets like it's a chronic addiction that's going to destroy most of us and the planet so if we are requested as young artists to come innocently to find a solution to something that is defined as a problem then we will be coming with the problem to solve, to try and come up with a solution because the problem is the way of thinking with those addictions. Ah, yes. We are the do-gooders and we have come to do good. So the first projects are usually getting rid of those addictions and not castigating yourself, but just get, it's like a series of gestalts of I see this new thing. So... It is the project talking to you, and you're the one who is just as much in the moment of navigating change. And then these careers start to emerge around what I think is a remaking of wisdom, which we honour in First Nations without question, but we dishonour amongst ourselves. And often eldership is earned by the wisdom that's come from being quiet and letting go of your assumptions and your addictions. And and so I would hope that younger artists are coming into projects and communities and processes. I mean, I'm a playwright, so I've got to say this, but they are on a dramaturgical journey themselves. And they are learning these new virtuosities in the process of making, not mesmerized on the content, the commodity and the stardom. It's those virtuosities, using a European word, that are found in the deep, women and men of learning in these ancient cultures on this continent. And it's in the same zone, those virtuosities, that a man or a woman can be a nunkery who heals, it's not my place to say, but can travel in ways that, that non-Aboriginal people don't know how to travel. Elon Musk does not know that people can be in two places at once. So there is a world of high culture and high mystery that beckons us. And we work with skateboarders, we work with seafarers, we work with Aboriginal people, we work with 
the elderly. In all of those sets, there are deep wisdoms and learnings that you find yourself actually in, in an exchange as a younger artist and you become an elder artist. Yeah. And not just in the process, but in internalizing the practice and along the way are an accumulation of skills, many of which you're not always aware that you are accruing, but that becomes the way you think about the world. One of the things that we struggle with a lot is how do we pass that on? Particularly the most impatient moment in human life is that young artist wanting an instant gratification and a sense of accomplishment overnight, which sometimes occurs, sometimes to the detriment of the people for whom it occurs. But it just occurs to me, it's a wonderful thing that artists in Australia wanting to go down this path, there's definitely a model there. There's a practice. There's people doing this work and lots of, of members of your community who are no longer in your community but are out there doing other things based on the same experience. This is a great national resource. And I, Australia is the kind of place where a, an organization like, like Big Art can become that. Our country is a, a little different. Something like Bill, Big Art would, I don't know how many enemies you have, but boy, would they have a lot of enemies here. <laughs> it would be a lot of people <laughs> trying to mess with it. Virtuosity is, in fact, threatening to those who want to slide by. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of sliding going on in this country yeah. these days. That is super interesting. And like, if you look at, for instance, uh, the phrase tall poppies, that is a thing here. You will get lopped off. We receive zero arts and culture funding from the Australia Council or Arts Tasmania or New South Wales. Currently, there is no arts and culture funding that goes into the organisation except in Western Australia, into one project in the Pilbara. And in one sense, I go, that's terrible. But on the other hand, I go, that's really great because... We are stewarding arts and culture so badly that it sits as a, in these tiny agencies of government, meaning very little, with very little reach into, into policy that then can possibly become legislation around urgent issues. Yeah, but you do have a big reach. The non-arts cross-sector support base that you've cultivated over these many years has, I think, dramatically broadened the scope and reach and understanding of arts-based strategies as a transformative force in Australia. When I see the investors you credit in your work, I am looking at some seriously fertile soil. Banks, community development agencies, boat builders, financial services, electric utilities, dairies, and skate, of course, devised as a social investment enterprise will really extend the influence and independence of the work. So, yeah, you've definitely come out of the arts bubble in a big way, not only for big art, but also the hundreds of artists and community partners who joined the party. Yeah, so we've traded the comfort of the garret, in a way, for non-involvement. And young people, younger artists, we're often scared of, of the really big idea, the really important idea. Is it Timothy Morton talks about the event horizon of issues are so big you can't actually see them in the climate change context. I've totally misquoted him there. But 
the gift gets instilled down so that you can recognize more clearly the things that are destroying the soul of the narration of the nation. And it is up to older artists to, to be willing to be cancelled or willing to be damaged or to be censored or willing to just go with the robust um, persuasive powers of a young artist. Like if I met me at 25, I would have told me to shut up and get out of my face. You know nothing, you little upstart. But so it, it distills down to being able to stand lovingly and forgivingly and trustingly, seeing the talent that has not yet come out of the soil and assist in a sense for people to see the size of the idea in the small thing. And when younger artists are doing that, they become much hungrier for the process and much less mesmerized by the addiction of content making or those things. And currently, to bring us back to the very first project in a sense, right now, 51% of all the young people locked up in very inappropriate juvenile justice centers or youth detention are Aboriginal young people from 3% of the population. Now, they are the most vulnerable in our midst, and that's what we're doing as a country. And in a sense, no art needs to be made about anything else other than that one thing until that cultural wound is healed. And that needs to happen all around the country on all Aboriginal nations, led by Aboriginal nations. And we are the jailers if we aren't prepared to step into that contested space and be knocked about by the process, well, we, sh we should be in arts administration and not making art. Yeah, I can't agree with you more. And we're having similar kinds of upheavals in this country. It has been an incredible privilege to reconnect. Every culture has its own jargon and yours isn't ours. And for that reason, it resonates. And so bringing things from somewhere else is sometimes worth 10 case studies from, you know, from the U.S. Thank you for those generous words. Fellow travelers need to pat each other on the back <laughs> once in a while. It's a hard time to, to be an optimist in the world. Yeah, sure. It's kind of part of my business model. Yeah, I can see that. And can see the way that you're putting together a, a body of conversations to go out into the world and inspire and to hold tr things true. It's very good work. Thank you. It has really helped me out <laughs> just <laughs> to be in conversation with people who, who aren't insane or maybe are insane in the best possible way. We'll have a great evening. Okay. Thanks, Bill. Take it easy. And I would say the same to you out there listening, but with a twist by way of the great creative change agent Woody Guthrie, who said, take it easy, but take it, which I think exactly fits the patience and determination that characterize the big art stories we've been hearing. It's also important to be aware that what we've heard in this show and our previous episode just scratches the surface of the big art saga. And, and so if you visit their website at Big Art dot o-r-g that's b-i-g-h-a-r-t 
You'll find many more chapters in text and image and hundreds of videos, a snippet of which we're hearing right now in the background in the soundtrack of a film documenting another amazing big art project called The Acoustic Life of Sheds which is an eight-year-old mobile musical celebration of stories and sounds rising up from farm and boat sheds shared, where else, in shed-based concerts of new and traditional music. (laughs) Concerts that, not surprisingly, are produced in conjunction with Big Arts Project O, which is a leadership and empowerment program for young women. So... As we end this episode, thanks again for lending us your ears and also, if you're so inspired, passing this and other episodes on to your friends. Also, if you have some comments, questions, or ideas about how we can expand the Change the Story community or people you think we should be talking to, please drop us a line at csac at artandcommunity.com Art and community is all one word and all spelled out. Change the Story, Change the World is a production of the Center for the Study of Art and Community. Our theme and soundscape spring forth from the head, heart, and hands of the maestro Judy Munson. Our text editing is by Andre Nebe. Our effects come from freesound.org. Our inspiration rises up from the ever-present spirit of OOP 235. So, until next time... Stay well, do good, and spread the good word. And rest assured, this episode has been 100% human.